after the shooting in Texas. We thought it'd be a, uh, an opportunity to talk to Scott McFarlane, who is a CBS correspondent who covers the U.S. Congress and uh, is uh, monitoring all that's all the words that are starting to fly now as it relates to shooting and gun safety and the prospect of getting gun legislation through. It's hard to get any common sense legislation through of any kind, so uh, therefore, uh, I'm, I'm not too hopeful. Well, but common sense is in short supply in Washington we'll these days. We'll talk about that. Scott, thank you so much for being available this morning. Good morning. Morning, Scott. You guys are spot on. Mark and Joe, they can't even get unanimous votes on naming of post offices and on honoring police <laughs> with gold medals. This is gun control legislation. It is the ultimate of gridlock. Well, you, we talked to you uh, about 10 days ago. We talked about the fact that we were basically in gridlock minus, you know, maybe some exceptional bill that could go through that just seems to really garner bipartisan support. Is there any sort of a bipartisan, uh, Senator Toomey coined the phrase, a common sense gun law that would make us safer? That would, I think, be in relatively short supply as well there. There was some momentum during Senator Toomey's first term, you'll recall after Sandy Hook, they called the bill here in Washington the Manchin-Toomey bill, which would have addressed background checks. And there was some momentum, but there not only were a shortage of Republican votes, there were actually some Democrats who defected on that bill as well, and it expired. It evaporated. There was some discussion from Senator Manchin about resurfacing that after the Buffalo tragedy on May 14th. Well, this morning, uh, I bounced back and forth among the three uh, cable networks for my morning news. And on MSNBC, Joe Scarborough was blaming this on Republicans. It seems to me that, you know, you you have uh, when, when there's a, a white shooter, it's white supremacists. When you have an Hispanic shooter, it's the guns. You know, how much is the media responsible for this lack of ability to get something done? Or isn't it at all? If you choose to consume news in an echo chamber... You're going to be have a very singular and solitary diet. <laughs> if you choose to consume only your news out of news sources that echo your own beliefs, that will not you know, provide a diversity of voices, you're going to suffer uh, in terms of your editorial dietary intake. I think the media needs to reflect and give voice to all sides of issues, especially an issue as divisive as gun control and, and gun rights. That being said... There's going to be some kickback today. I promise you, there'll be kickback against politicians who say today's not the day to talk about gun control or gun law. That bromide has been used after previous mass shootings, and it is, it is a point of sensitivity for those advocating for gun control who will argue today that this is the perfect day. This is the ideal day to discuss gun policy while the nation has its attention focused on it. Well, is it gun policy, or would it be something, for example, like red flag laws? Was there Would there be any chance to get those passed? It seems to me like they might do more, considering all these people seem to have manifestos or they have put things on social media that tend to give you some warning of what they're up to. I mean, are, are these the things that could pass? Oh, you're spot on. In fact, the most vocal proponent of gun control law right now is Senator Chris Murphy, who, when he was in the House, represented Sandy Hook, Newtown, Connecticut. And he said this morning that his first conversation today is about red flag laws with Senator Joe Manchin, that pivotal moderate Democrat, that they expect to have conversations with Republicans, including both Texas Republican senators. So it seems red flag laws where they're going to begin.
Is there any impact from the president's remarks last evening? They were so impassioned, he was near tears, but is, the president doesn't have a ton of capital really anywhere that I detect at the moment. Do you think his words may have some impact? I don't know what gets the U.S. Senate to 60 votes on an issue that is so divisive at this moment in time. Um, I'm not sure if a president can say a thing in front of a camera that can move such an intransigent Senate on such a divisive issue. Um, but that you notice, the uniqueness of the president's speech may give it more power, more force than it otherwise would have had. Well, should we watch for some game changer, some pop-up element here, some big, uh, maybe some senator who changes his or her mind? Is is that what we're going to look for then in the days ahead, something that's uh, completely different than, uh, than all the previous discussions that uh, were related to this kind of thing? Based on the Senate staff with whom we're speaking, the, the game changer would have to be somebody willing to remove the filibuster to make a majority rules vote win the day. And there have been two Democratic senators who've been unequivocal. They're not going to surrender the filibuster, even for issues involving gun rights. Kirsten Cinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia. We are staking out Joe Manchin right now. We're at the Capitol waiting to hear from him this morning. We'll see if he moved it all, but there's no expectation that he has. Well, the president last night said when, at the end of his speech, I guess, I guess he got a little political, he said, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? What is the gun lobby today? Is it just the NRA? Are there more than one group out there trying to stop any kind of legislation? And how much power do they actually have? The NRA is the face of the gun rights lobby, and they're actually having their yearly event, their conference, this week in Texas. <laughs> Um, but the NRA had such prominence, you'll recall, in the days after Sandy Hook in 2012, where Wayne LaPierre, the head of the NRA, came out and said, you know, what's, you need good guys with guns to stop the bad guys with guns. And we don't expect to hear Wayne LaPierre and the NRA make a statement today. Times have changed in 10 years. Well, I noticed this morning one of the one of the talking heads on TV was saying that what we really need to do is put an armed police officer or resource officer in every school in the country and that there ought to be money to do that. Do you think that's the kind of solution somebody might put forth in Congress that might get uh, 60 votes? That's been trending the other way. There have been major American school systems pulling the armed officers out of schools, um, including some of the larger school systems uh, here in the Washington, D.C. region. Um, with the argument that you know, the racial justice reckoning of 2020 uh, made it you know, more, more proper to have police nearby or outside versus in the hallways. That notwithstanding, Senator Murphy this morning of Connecticut said, what good is it to put more armed police in schools if the shooter's going to wear body armor and be outgun the police with higher caliber automatic weapons? Um, that's a public policy debate that will happen, but I expect that to happen on the local level. In our communities in Pennsylvania, not at the federal level. Well, Scott, short of confiscating all the firearms in the country that are capable of producing this kind of terrible result, what kind of solution would Congress even put on the table? I mean, can you think of anything that that you've heard put forth that would have stopped this particular incident or any of the incidents that we've had? I think Congress will have a conversation about background checks and red flag laws. As we mentioned earlier, that'll probably dominate the day today. We know there have been some efforts for the federal government to combat ghost guns, those handmade, homemade guns that have been used in an increasing number of crimes. There's federal oversight there. But when it comes to school security, 
and school protection. That really is a local issue. In America, we keep control of our schools overwhelmingly with the local communities, the boroughs, the townships, the counties. And that's really where those decisions will be made. What else is happening in Washington on other fronts? Budget hearings, I imagine, are taking place, and uh, there's a, a wide range. you got uh, folks coming in from primaries. Uh, you know, the potential will be that you'll have some different faces in the Senate and in the House in the, in the years ahead. What else are you monitoring from your position as the CBS congressional correspondent? <laughs> We're all monitoring the, uh, the outcome of that Republican primary in the Commonwealth. We want to see who won that thing. But as timing would have it, the FBI director and the nominee to run the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms are both testifying before the Senate today. So that's um, interesting timing coming off of a mass shooting. Also, keep an eye on this. The Secret Service director testifies this week about his budget. He may get some questions about the problems some of his officers seem to keep running into when they go overseas with the president. you recall the report last week about an incident in Korea involving two off-duty Secret Service office. If it turns out, uh, going back to the gun issue again, if it turns out that this young man, who apparently has an Hispanic name, turns out to be somebody who has uh, maybe less than stellar credentials as being for being in the United States, do you think that will change the administration's stance on the border? This is a community that is 60 miles from the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, a, a very Latina community, and one in which the victims, you know, come from a, a community that's 60 miles from the border. Um, we already have in Washington a rather visceral debate over border security, over border crossings with the Title 42 provision of the COVID uh, protections that was supposed to restrict movement on the border. That was supposed to expire Monday. It stays in place because of a federal judge's ruling. It's hard to see what would inflame further the political debate over border issues and border crossings. I always say, uh, jokingly, that uh, the vortex sucks out the brains of individuals who work in uh, Congress and Senate members who work in Washington or even in our Harrisburg lawmakers as well. But uh, do do, do you not get a sense that uh, the public might agree with such a statement that this lack of progress, this this divide, this uh, that we're at such loggerheads that, uh, you know, faith is going to go even lower if that's feasible uh, for Congress? Uh, Congress polls generally, collectively, very, very poorly. Uh, it's somewhere in the level of you know, head lice and diaper <laughs> rash. But people love their congressmen or congresswoman. You know, they, they like their representative. They just get frustrated with Congress. So as long as that dynamic remains, that's why incumbents win so much. That's why primaries rarely oust incumbents. And that's why most members of Congress are safe. They've, they've drawn themselves safe districts and seeking out voters versus voters seeking them out. But there is still that, that old saying that, you know, hate the Congress, love the congressman, and that's, <laughs> that's still true. If you were um, to tell us what you may have gleaned from your fellow correspondents or among people you talk to in Washington, do they have any feeling of who is more electable between McCormick and Oz? I would love to know the answer to that question. I was hoping you all could give me some intel on that. Um, I, I will say this. Um, this. Pennsylvania does stand out as a state where Democrats are particularly bullish, and they are not bullish everywhere in this particular election cycle. But I think Democrats are quite confident in the nominees for both the U.S. Senate and for the governor's seat, and they see opportunities in the Republican opposition. They see an opportunity to win. 
I just don't hear that in Ohio. I don't hear that in Florida. So Pennsylvania, as it often does, stands alone. Well, there is an undercurrent in the state that considers uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman to be something of a flake. His uh, spousal marijuana and... His attire is different, um, right. which distinguishes him. Um, I don't think that's accidental. I mean, I think that's a, that's a strategy that has helped him succeed in western Pennsylvania. We'll see what it does when you run statewide again. Um, the, the lieutenant governor's race is different than a Senate race, but he's distinguished himself. Right, and we'll see, we'll see him all over the state. Anything else you'd like to add? Maybe something important we didn't ask you before we let you go. Uh, yours is my favorite part of Pennsylvania. My entire family is there. It is one of the most underrated, beautiful parts of America. Let oh me throw God. that out there unequivocally. And well, you're welcome to come here anytime after that kind of endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, next time you're up this way, we do a live telephone talk show every weekday, 830 to 10. You're welcome to join us. Come in the studio. Yeah, yep, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, gentlemen. Love to have you. Take care, Scott. Thanks. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Scott. Scott McFarland, a CBS News congressional correspondent, has been an investigative reporter and just keeps his finger on the on the pulse of all things going on in Washington and in Harrisburg, as he mentioned, when it comes to the U.S. Senate race that's there and and on the White House. So it's comprehensive. And unlike some of the correspondents, if you ask him to speculate based on what he knows, he's willing to speculate based on what he knows. So uh, we always appreciate that Scott McFarland from CBS News.